Welcome to You Sound Like a Girl. I'm Colleen, and my pronouns are she, her, hers. And I am Emily Rose, and my pronouns are also she, her, hers. And you are listening to You Sound Like a Girl, a storytelling project that explores and elevates cis and trans women's stories about our voices. We aim to explore the social norms around cis and trans women's voices by investigating what it means to sound like a woman and what it means for women to use our voices. On today's episode, we want to welcome Valentina Ortiz and Kate Scalisi to discuss the myth of the vagina dentata and the connection between the voice and sexuality. Before we begin, we also want to acknowledge that not all women have vaginas and genitals definitely do not equal gender. Today's episode will be focusing on folks with vaginas, but as always, You Sound Like a Girl acknowledges and invites cis and trans women as well as non-binary and gender non-conforming folks who are comfortable in a space that centers the experiences of women to join the conversation. So Valentina Ortiz, she, her, speaks the ancient and the modern stories of Mexico. She's been on stage since she was six years old as an actress, as a musician, and as a storyteller. She takes her stories to schools, assembly halls, parks, and theaters in Mexico, the U.S., and other parts of the world. She's published four books and produced four records with her original stories and music, and she now focuses on multilingual storytelling in Spanish, Nahuatl, English, and French. Besides storytelling, her other passion is music and percussion instruments of the world. She's been a drummer and composer for more than 30 years. Kate Scalisi, she, her, is a certified sex educator with a master's in public health, the founder of Passion by Kate, and an advocate for the revolutionary power of pleasure in the bedroom and out. She harnesses her science education, social justice insight, and radical empathy to empower folks to integrate pleasure into their lives and relationships in ways that are both practical and powerful. So Valentina, to kick us off, you shared some stories with us in the 2019 production of You Sound Like a Girl, but you told me that you had a new story to share with us today. So whenever you're ready, we'd love to hear it. Okay, so coming from my background of working a lot with women, not necessarily around the sung voice in Mexico, but also about just speaking out as very underprivileged women starting to speak out for themselves in Spanish, not in their indigenous language. So that's what we talked and shared for several years. But um, I'm on a little different path right now. And along that path, I discover myself as a, you know, as a Mexican woman with all that means of being under patriarchy, but also being under the, the, the culture of colonization as an oppression, et cetera. And I take a course with an amazing story. I'm a storyteller, professional storyteller, and I have the opportunity of taking a course with Laura Sims, which I truly admire, she's from New York. And the challenge was to, to approach stories in a very different way. And so she really encouraged us to choose a story that is completely traditional and that has uh, something to it that makes you uncomfortable. So I chose this story I'm going to share, and suddenly I have a revelation. So that's why I would like to share this very traditional story from the Ponca tribe of the northern part of America. 
The eagle had flown all day long. She was tired. So she landed on a flat rock. And there she transformed. Mother recuperated her human shape. She knew it was time to start the story. As she walked down from the mountain, from above, she saw a circle of teepees, her home, white, black teepees, and on the edge of that, her own teepee, the brown one. And just at that very precise moment, Coyote, the warrior, the trickster, that character that is in so many of the North American stories, he made a decision. He said, I am going out to look for a good deed because I want to kill a monster or trap an evil spirit. Help the humans, he said. And he started to walk and walk, and he got to a big forest with tall, tall elm trees. And suddenly he heard water, running water, a big river. So he walked towards the water, he decided. And soon enough, he got to a little clearing in the forest. And where the trees ended, he could see that big river, the Missouri River. And he could see that circle of white and black tents. And just as he stepped out from under the trees, appeared a warrior. Oh, he was handsome. He was wearing his best clothes. It was a warrior from the Ponca tribe who lived in those teepees. And he spoke to Coyote. I've been waiting for you, Coyote, for a long time. Coyote said hello, and they chatted about animals and forests and trees and paths and weather. And suddenly, out of the blue, the warrior told Coyote, you do know that in our community there is a witch. And she has two daughters. They are so beautiful, but so evil. Every time a man lays with them, he disappears. Coyote thought, that's impossible. How can a woman harm a man like that? But he said goodbye and walked towards the brown teepee. He knew. And he fixed his quiver of arrows and his bow just in case. And mother, she saw him coming. She smiled at him and spoke and said, Welcome, Coyote. You are so handsome. You are just what I need for a son-in-law. And he gazed at her. She, she was so tall and so strong and, yes, marked by time and by sun, but she was still so beautiful. And then she turned around and he followed her gaze and he saw the two young ones. There they were, the beautiful daughters with their best buckskin clothes, decorated blouses with porcupine kills, and their shiny tresses. Oh, what a sight. And he thought, these women cannot be witches. There must be a mistake. He saw Mother open the entrance of the teepee, and she invited him with a nod to go in. And he bent down and walked into the teepee. It was chilly outside. Oh, but inside that teepee, it was so warm. It was dark. And the only shining thing was the fire, bright red rocks. And Coyote's heart started to pound, to panic just a bit, just like you and I panic when we walk bent over into the sweat lodge. 
And Coyote felt that need to run outside and stretch his whole body and feel the fresh air. But just like you and I, he decided to stay inside that womb. He sat down on a big pile of fur just in front of the fire. The three women walked into the teepee and mother went around the fire and sat right in front of him. And she gazed at the fire intensely. Then she spoke and said, Coyote, you must be hungry, let us feed you. She nodded twice to each of her daughters and they started to hustle to make the food. They presented three dishes. The first was buffalo hump, and the second was a combination of amazing mushrooms from the mountain. The third one was buffalo tongue. When Coyote saw that, he was so honored. He was so welcoming. Oh, he felt so great. Because you see, buffalo tongue is only eaten by special people in special occasions. He had never tried it. He started to devour the food and he spoke and he laughed. And the women also, wow, they ate so much it seemed it was their last meal. Well, except for the youngest of the daughters who just looked down into the fire. Mother observed Coyote and saw how he had his last piece of tongue. And then he was so drowsy, he was almost tipping over. And she spoke again and said, Coyote, why don't you stay the night with us? You don't want to be outside in the dark and you can lay between my two daughters. Coyote just stood up and fixed the bed with the furs he was sitting on, took his moccasins off and crawled under the fur. Then there was a big pause. Mother looked at her two daughters and nodded and smiled. They stood up, but the pause was still there. So mother nodded again and smiled to them. The two young women took their moccasins off and crawled under the furs, one on each side of Coyote. And there was another silence because you see, at night sounds grow. Now they could hear perfectly the paws of the animals outside the teepee breaking the dry leaves. They could hear the owl fluffing his feathers. And then there was a strange noise. Hmm. Coyote thought that must be maybe a deer scratching his back on the side of the teepee. Or maybe the claws of a fox in the earth. And when the sound was the loudest, the youngest of the daughters spoke to Coyote in his ears. And she whispered, Coyote, save yourself. It is your chance. We are bewitched. We have teeth in our vagina. Run, coyote. When a man penetrates us, we devour his penis, and then he lays on us bleeding to death, and mother enjoys it all. Coyote breathed in and thought, how interesting. The woman exclaimed, you don't believe me, coyote. Listen. And that's when coyote realized that that sound that he thought was Outside of the teepee, no, it was right next to him, underneath the furs. And yes, it was the sound of many clashing teeth. Coyote breathed in and pretended to sleep. For another long time, all you heard was just three wide awake young people breathing in and out and looking up 
at the crack on the top of the teepee where they could see the stars. And then there was a noise of rustling inside the teepee. It was mother moving. And the eldest of the daughters spoke. Coyote, don't you want to make love to me? And he answered right away, of course, that's the only thing I can think of since I am here. And she answered, well, then come, I will make you happy. Coyote stood up, took the fur off the woman, and in that dark, dark teepee, he spoke and said, I will take my clothes off. But what he really did was bend over and grab a big log from the fire. And then he went towards the young woman and penetrated her with that log. <gasps> that woman went on fire. Her face was shining. She was smiling with bliss. Oh, she was so bright. She just yelled out, oh, finally a true man. And yes, from the vagina, all these little pieces of wood just flew out. And then she cried out as her eyes turned white. More, I want more. So Coyote bent down and grabbed an arrow and penetrated the woman with his arrow. And yes, oh, that woman, that woman was so full. She was flying high, high, high on the birds of pleasure. She was gone. And the teeth of the vagina slowly stopped chewing when they reached the tip of the arrow. Yes. The head of the arrow had reached the head of the woman. Coyote knew what he had to do next. He grabbed his dagger, stood up, and went around the fire to where mother was. He observed her. She was sitting with her head leaning back, and she was smiling. She was bright with so much light. Her eyes were white. She had that smile of bliss, just like her daughter. Yes, she was flying high, high, high on the birds of pleasure. She was gone. So Coyote stabbed her many times. Then he came back and pulled the furs off the youngest of the girls who was just huddled there. And he spoke to her and said, I love you, you saved me, you come with me. And she answered back, I have teeth in the wrong place, I will kill you. And Goyote just smiled and said, I can fix that. So both young ones went outside of the teepee. Oh, the breeze of that night felt so good on their face. And they walked all night. And then all day, because they were going to the house of Coyote on the mountains. But the next night, they were tired. So Coyote decided to make a little hut. He picked up the broken branches from the pine tree, the elk trees, all these delicious trees. Oh, that smelled so good. And he made a little, small, round hut. And the female, well, she went to get some sage. But not just a fistful, oh no, a big, huge bunch of sage in her arms. And then male and female made a nice, soft sage bed inside the little hut. And they stepped back out. And there in the dark night, they looked at each other. And eye in eye, Coyote said to the woman, now I will make love to you. And she looked back at his eyes and said, I have teeth in the wrong place. I will kill you. And Coyote again smiled and said, I can fix that. I will pull the teeth. He took her hand and both went into the little hut. And come on, who does not like gossip? 
All the animals of the forest gathered around that little hut, some on the branches, other leaning on the trees or in the middle of the roots, and they waited. But now they don't know, we don't know how Coyote pulled the teeth from that vagina. But what they did hear, oh, so loud, and what they told the world is that from that little hut came flying out an amazing cry, male and female voices tied together, and the cry exploded in the dark night, a cry of pure pleasure. And in the sky, shining, mother and a daughter, watching, listening. And the story says that Coyote and the woman were very happy for many weeks because you see, Coyote in the vagina left one little tiny blurry tooth that gives them so much pleasure to both of them. And in the sky, shining, mother and the daughter with that face of pure bliss, flying, flying high on the birds of pleasure, because each one of them has 26 little blurry teeth, each of them, in their vagina. That's the story. It's a traditional story. That was awesome. Thank you for that performance, that storytelling. That was enchanting. Thank you. Now I can tell you why it's really important for me. <laughs> tell us. Okay, so the challenge as a storyteller and in this course is to respect the facts that the story gives you, right? And actually, I didn't tell you, but I had, I discovered this story like 20 years ago and I went crazy. It's like, perfect. And then I did a, I'm a, a salsa drummer for almost 30 years. So I made a show about my experience as a woman in the, in the salsa world, which, as you might imagine, is like 99% all male. And it was basically about recuperating the right to, to feel pleasure as a woman and to speak out and to be a salsa drummer. <laughs> but anyway, so I had already worked on that story. But as I told the story, as you heard it, well, without the ending of the mother, I was having a lot of trouble and feminists were really on my case. And so I started reading up and I discovered that um, this idea, I'm sure Kate knows all about it, but this idea of a, of a dangerous vagina for males, a castrating vagina has been among us, I guess, since we exist as human race. And it is in just about every culture, traditional culture. I, I mean, I have the list, but it goes from the Maori people in New Zealand to Japan to Mexico, um, through South America, um, and the U.S., well, the tribes that were on the territory that is now called the U.S. So it's this idea, and that there's a very important feminist in Mexico, Marta Lamas, who writes a, a, a very specific article against this. It's like the fear of women, of males, of being castrated by women. And it didn't quite go well with me. And as I start working, I realized that this story is about something else completely. For me, what this story is really telling, because the witch knows everything. She's the one that brings Coyote to the teepee. So um, I think this story is in two ways, because if, I mean, one little blurry tooth is a, is a clitoris, and I know what to do with a clitoris, and that's a lot of pleasure. Uh, 
if that is one, imagine what it would mean to have 26 of those. So that leads me to understand that this really we have, we are goddesses and we have an amazing power and we have a vision of the world way beyond a masculine perception. And that's the way we are made. We are connected with, with the earth through our, our, our possibility of bleeding. And I've checked this with um, uh, an amazing woman, Hers Crow, who is also from one of the tribes of the North. So it is a woman's decision to give up her 25 clitoris and keep one just to remember that paradise does exist. But it is a decision of the feminine to give up her status of understanding the world to be able to walk along the masculine. We need both sides. For some reason, I don't ask me why. <laughs> I'm not, I don't, I wouldn't understand how to explain that. And this made sense to something I was explained. Um, when I go to a, a rehearsal for a powwow, the music of these people, um, I'm all excited, you know, oh, finally my dream come true. I'm going to be able to drum. This amazing, uh, I was, I, I mean, way beyond orgasm. I was just static. And the woman that, that was in charge of the whole thing goes up to me and says, no, no, I have to explain to you. I, I'm a I'm a traditional Cuban drumming woman, which I'm from Santeria, and these are sacred drums that women are not supposed to drum, but I drum. Okay, so I'm this is a path I've been walking for a long time. I mean, 30 years. And so when she sp speaks the same words and she says, no, women don't drum. What we do is we make a circle around the men and we help to contain them and we sing back. They do the singing and we answer because they are in trouble. They need to find and strengthen themselves. First time I received that was like, they're afraid of matriarchy and there was a matriarchy and it was gone. And now suddenly I started tying, also I'm a mature woman, I'm 57 and a mother of males. And all this information just started tying into it and it made so much sense. And I am very happy to have found my power as a woman, to know I am a goddess and to know that I am walking a path of duality for some reason. Don't ask me why. But I am comfortable with that. And that's why I really wanted to share it because that was my path. Oh, that was, yes, all of the things. Um, before we dive into kind of a little bit more dissecting of the, of the story and of um, connecting it to voice and sexuality, Kate, I would love if you could give our listeners just a little bit of a background on yourself about what you do. You, you mentioned that your work centers on pleasure. Kind of what's, what's your elevator pitch for our listeners? <laughs> yeah, uh, all of my work, so I'm the founder of a company called Passion by Kate. I'm also a certified sex educator. And really what we do is we really advocate for the revolutionary power of pleasure in the bedroom and out, and really inviting people into a deeper understanding of themselves, their desires, deeper relationship with their body in really practical and powerful ways. Because for me, when, when I first got started on this journey over a decade ago, 
what I found was so much of the information wasn't accessible for a lot of different reasons. I do not have the time or the desire, and this is me personally, and this is also the, the folks who are who are part of the Passion by Kate community, to spend like an hour a day on yoni massage. And you know what? My clients who are CEOs and moms and have managing their health issues or they're disabled and chronically ill like I am, they don't either. And so how can we really – learn more about our own pleasure and make integrating it into our lives really powerful, but also really practical. I don't think those two things have to be at odds as they so often are, are positioned at least by other people. So that is what we're all about. Um, and Passion Bakate itself really is a one-stop platform for whatever people are looking for, whether it's you need a sex toy or you're looking for longer-term coaching. It's all available there really to focus on supporting folks in their autonomy to say this is what I want and this is what I need and practicing that at every at every interaction with us. Oh, yes. That was a great elevator pitch. Kate, I don't know your history with this myth. As um, Valentina said, this comes through lots of different cultures. So this telling of the myth is very different from this like same mythos coming from a different culture, um, cultures all around the world. So I just love to know, like, what is your experience with this myth thus far and how Valentina's story has affected you coming from where you're coming from? I remember first hearing this myth sometime in college. Actually, it was sophomore year. I can actually pinpoint where we were because there's a movie. There's like a really campy horror, quote unquote, horror movie about this, like a low budget campy horror film centered around this myth, which honestly, until you all reached out, right, I didn't have an understanding of it as being something that was really deeply part of so many cultures across the world, as Valentina, you just said. And so for me, it was just this thing that was like, we kind of heard about it as this funny thing in college and we scrambled to watch the movie and and had some good laughs about that and, you know, had some conversations around like, oh my gosh, what would that even be like? And I think there's just, there's so many levels to this story, right? Like the idea of like needing an internal protection system, the idea of women as tricksters, right? As luring men, the positioning of of men as not being in control of their sexual, you know, their sexual urges, which we know is something that's that has a long history in purity culture and um, and patriarchy and so on. Like there's just layers upon layers. And then the interpretation, Valentina, that you just offered around like if these teeth are not teeth, but they're actually a clitoris or multiple clitori, clitorises, whatever the plural is there, right? Like that completely changes the understanding of the story and just adds so many layers. And I think that that often happens with myths and stories and oral history that gets passed down is there's layers upon layers upon layers. And what I'm Particularly, I'm not going to ruin it because I know later we share the people that, you know, whose voices we really appreciate. But I'm also seeing the connections to the ways in which stories and beliefs get so appropriated today in, in quote unquote wellness culture and spirituality circles and how going back to the origin of the story, going back to the people whose story it actually is, 
right? The roots, if you will, is just so important and so powerful. And so much of the work that I do, although it is, you know, I don't work within the realm of story and and myth that much, is about going backwards and looking at how these external factors, these messages we've gotten from all of these different places through society, through media, through family, through friends, through religion, through myth, through everything, how they're still impacting us today and doing a lot of unpacking and unlearning and inviting the folks that I work with to a deeper understanding of how is this still impacting you today and what do you want to keep? Do you want to keep the interpretation of this as, and I'm just going to use the myth here, right, as 26 clitorises? Like, yes, please. Or, right, like if that's serving you, then yes, right? And so really checking in with like, how is this story serving you? How is it impacting me? Is it serving me? What is it that I want to keep? And what is it that I want to release? And that's not to say the release is super easy, right? Like the loss, if you will, of those, of the 25 and the 26 teeth probably carried with it some grief and some loss because all change involves loss. And so I just, I love, I love the layers upon layers and I think I'm struck by because it like pleasures the core at the core of what I do and what we do through Passion by Kate is I'm struck by the two ways, right? And we've only dived into two ways that the interpretation of the story can like talk about pleasure so differently, right? Like there's just two really different perspectives on it within the different interpretations. And I think that's really rad. And I would say operating within the realm of both and versus either or. How are those both showing up in all of us today? And how do they live on in our bodies and our psyches? And then how are they playing out in our relationships and our sexual relationships, our romantic relationships, and in our bedrooms? Colleen, you touched on, and Valentina, you were also talking about why this is important to you and how it relates to the voice and like your work with the voice. So do you want to kind of talk a little bit about that for us? Yeah, sure. I tell you, this this revelation, which is exactly what Kate is saying, is that pleasure is the motor for for me, and I want to claim it more and more. At least 20 years ago, I started studying with, not as a singer, as more as a theater person, uh, with this woman called Ebe Rosel, which in English would be Ebe, I think it's H-E-B-E, and then Rosel, which is R-O-S-E-L-L. She's from Argentina, but she's lived in Mexico for a very, very long time. She must be in her almost in her 80s now. And um, she uses Roy Hart technique, which is actually comes from another man, which is Alfred Wolfenson during the Second World War. And it is how the voice comes from the body. But she and Roy Hart, they talk, it comes from the pelvis. That was when I started with her. And as she went along, she started talking about what in Spanish we would call tambache, the theory of the tambache, the power of the tambache. And tambache is like a fun way of saying the vagina. Well, it's the whole area of the vagina. I don't know if you have an equivalent in English, it's sort of the, the down there. Tambache means like a, like a bag full of things. So now she's actually, she's about to present her book and, and she has now the theory of the, the, the tambache method. And I was re-listening to, she's, she did a series of eight one-hour talks about this very, very precise uh, method that she has developed. 
And so she talks of the interaction between the sexual organs, the anus and the buttocks, and how they are the ones that emit that sexual energy power. The creative energy is also considered the sexual energy. It's not just the orgasm, it's the creative energy. And that is where you get your resonance and the vibration, the power of your voice. So basically, she talks of this area as your motor. And then she has very elaborate um, different levels where you get different, different qualities of the voice, which are really feelings. So you have the fear, the need, the game, I mean, different parts of your body. But it all comes from the tambache. So when you are in her class, you are constantly figuring out where you're, what your vagina is doing, where it's placed, um, and addressing what Colleen had mentioned when we talked once. I've been in class with men, and it's the same. She just refers to sexual organs. I mean, as usually, there's 90% of the, her students are women. <laughs> and so I think the fact of the connotation of, of the vagina when she speaks is very much because she talks a lot also about the act of singing as being an act of community. And so this whole idea of recuperating your nat natural voice. That's why she teaches mostly people that are non-singers, because it, she has an organic way of you connecting with your voice through your body. That's sort of the idea about Ebe Rosel. I have a few quotes if you want to hear them. Sure. So Ebe Rosel, in one of her, her amazing videos, says, Tambache is the chalice where I receive everything that is sacred for me. And that is when I move it to my voice. But then I have a true, profound, honest voice. And she says, and when I do this, I direct myself to the other, to the other person with my whole body. And that includes my origin memory and the memory that takes me to try to restore the vulnerable moments of my life, but also of the community. And the other amazing thing she says is, she's quoting actually another amazing Mexican woman who is a poet called Maria Zambrano with a Z. And she says, we can't be free of the tragedy of history unless we work together as a, my person and as a community offering something that we can all share. We must go beyond my personal confession as a desire to change my own truth to a desire to change our collective loneliness, our pain, our suffering. The moment we can actually share our personal in this community way, it becomes about all of us and it becomes a reflection of life and it becomes a call for rebellion and for change. So I think it's not a coincidence that she teaches mostly women in Mexico to get their vocal power through the area of the vagina. And then she talks that our voice is what leads us to a community rebellion. And she's very much related to the Zapatista movement, which is a revolutionary movement that has been going on in Mexico now for, whew, for over 20 years, almost 20 years. Yeah, I am so, so glad you shared that, Valentina, because I, I think of two things come to mind. First, my own journey navigating, and I've, I've talked about this pretty extensively, uh, pelvic pain. So 
It took me almost a year to get a prescription for pelvic floor physical therapy. Like doctors were really against it, which I think ties in, right, to this whole mythos and like I wasn't asking for anything dangerous, right? Like I literally was like, please, as a way of potentially avoiding surgery or pain medication, can we look at doing some pelvic floor physio for my low back pain? It's pretty well established, but it took me a really long time. So that piece, right? And then when I finally was able to access the care, so it took a year, I finally was able to access the care. And what I tell people is that I had to relearn how to breathe. I had to relearn how to sit, how to stand, how to walk, not because I wasn't capable of doing those things, but I wasn't doing those things in a nourishing way. I wasn't doing them well because I presented what what she said to me, and I will never forget this, is I was essentially presenting as like a seven-year-old woman who had given multiple vaginal births. I was 29. I was a mess. And I think of the ways in which addressing my pelvic floor impacted every other part of my body. It impacted my aerobic ability, if you will, right, to move, to exercise, to play, to have fun, to sing. And also it impacted the pain in my neck and shoulders. Like it's it's such a dismissed part of our bodies and it is such a powerful point of healing. And it's so just like dismissed in culture. Pelvic floor physio is often not covered by insurance in, in the U.S. at least. Oh, Mexico the same. <laughs> okay, yeah. Versus like in France, every new parent who gives birth gets access to pelvic floor physio because they recognize that like it's an important thing. So that piece there is just like that, the, the very like basic biologies of it, that it lives as a thing that healthcare providers know is so powerful and Yet it just so often goes dismissed, uncovered, ignored, belittled, and yet it's so freaking powerful. Like when she's doing the eval and I feel the pain in my neck be mimicked and it's like, what the F is that? It's so powerful. So that's the first piece. And then the second piece, um, I just recently completed a course called Movement for Trauma, and it was run by Jane Clapp and this amazing educator. I mean, Jane is amazing as well. Uh, Kai Chang Tom was our fantastic guest facilitator. And one of the things that Jane in particular talks about, and, and Kai Chang also talked about extensively, was how so often when we're talking about healing work and recovery work and stress management, and navigating, recovering, and healing from trauma, it's a lot of like relax, release, be zen, when often connecting to a sense of strength can also be healing. And often that strength, because our core is connected to our pelvic floor, comes from the pelvic floor area. And so reconnecting back to that, and if we think of rates of sexual violence and how often that is also a point of violence being perpetrated, there's so much power in building our own capacity to reconnect to strength in the core, to strength in the pelvic floor. And I just think, again, there's so many layers here around like approaching this and working with the pelvic floor. And I end up with a lot of my sex coaching clients being singers or having past lives as actors and whatnot. They're the ones who are always like, yeah, let's do some more weird movements. I call it weird movement shit, not to diminish it, but because that's, I say that with so much love, but like, let's do like some weird movement shit and connect with our bodies and feel that strength and being at home in our bodies, which can then translate out into so many other places and then build you know, Valentina, like you so beautifully shared into more of a community effort, right? Because we have to start with ourselves. 
And when we start within ourselves, then we can connect with people from a more settled place and hat tip to Resma Menakim for that language around settled. I just want to jump in and say, um, Kate, you just mentioned like actors are willing to get in there and like move around in funky ways. And Valentina, you were talking about freeing the natural voice, finding your natural voice. And that Kristen Linklater book, Freeing the Natural Voice, is what was taught in my conservatory, which is a very established like NYU, very mainstream conservatory. And that's what we learned from day one was like, you must connect to your pelvic floor. And Kate, like you were saying, like the neck and the pelvic floor being connected or the one mimicking the other, we were taught similarly about our vocal cords that you have structures in your vocal cords that the biology is mimicked in your pelvis, like the way that they are set up. So from my earliest days of training to be a singer, to be a performer, that's what we were taught, that if you can't connect to the pelvic floor, if you can't free that area and connect to like the strength within that, then you're not going to be able to find your voice. And I think it's so wild how that's considered mainstream, right, within singing and acting and performance, but it's considered a little bit out there within medicine or within trauma work. Like it's not as accepted. It's not mainstream. And I think, I mean, maybe we go down the path of like the arts and how that connects to voice and how that is diminished in our society too. But I think it always sticks out to me when I hear something like that, where I'm like, okay, why did I have to fight for a year to get a prescription for something that is not a new fact? It has a deep lineage in history and is taught mainstream. What the heck? Yeah. I can't help but think also, right? Like in as much as I would say, at least in American culture, the arts are not always valued as we have certainly seen throughout this pandemic. Um, Right. They're, they are at least a little bit more normalized than like pleasure and sex in our society. And so I can't help but feel like, well, the reason why we can't talk about, you know, the pelvic floor and its connection to the voice in a medical sense or we can't get support is because we refuse to accept and talk about pleasure and sex. And yeah, and I I, I would wonder if either of you have any thoughts on like, do they do you feel like the voice and and sex can fuel each other like what is the connection there you know we're talking about the the physiology of it but the pleasure side of it too right like there's something there <laughs> as as clearly seen in in Valentina's story i would talk about pleasure in general intuition is related to your inner child and they really know what what is right what is best and that child is all about playing so I would, I fight for the right to play as an adult, as a way of finding pleasure. So it's not only sexual pleasure, it's pleasure in everything. I mean, it's pleasure in seeing the sunrise, it's pleasure in laughing. And so I would be not necessarily tied to the sexual, like very specifically, but it's revolutionary to speak of pleasure and tying yourself to pleasure and and defending it. And I was in the guerrilla movement for nine years when I was young. And now they are talking of a, a big theory called the buen vivir, which means to live well. And that is what Bolivia is based on. And, and it is that, is now go back to the personal, go back to your immediate community, 
and understand that it is okay to feel pleasure. It is okay to to play, to to enjoy. I mean, in Latin America, at least, even enjoying is not for this world. We were born to suffer. The Catholic Church says we were born in a valley of tears. And if you do your job, right, with your amazing low wages and feed an army and have 20 kids, well, and smile, then you will go to heaven. And there you can be happy. So it's not even in this realm for us to be feel pleasure. But we're changing that, I hope, each one of us. Valentina, that's actually where I start with a lot of my clients. And in the work that we do at Passion by Kate, we really recognize that all pleasure is interconnected. And asking people to just find freedom and pleasure in the bedroom can be a big ask. And so we start with exactly what you just said, which is where can you essentially practice pleasure in other parts of your life? Because when you practice it in one part, it's easier to access when you are naked and those voices around sex and pleasure are like rearing their heads. But you you tap in to it in less vulnerable scenarios. And then it makes it easier, just like everything, right? Practice makes perfect. You don't just go sing on the stage of a Broadway show without having practiced and rehearsed. Like, you know, I often say that if there was a machine that could take away everything when you walked into your bedroom door, your proverbial bedroom doors, if you will. If I could make that, I could retire tomorrow. But that's not. We take all of who we are into the bedroom. And so I love I love that you say that because that's that's often where I encourage people to start. And I think on, on this connection between pleasure and voice, it is revolutionary. And it's revolutionary because of all those things, Valentina, you just mentioned around like we're taught that it's bad. And so in order to really embrace and experience pleasure, what we're also doing at the same time is we're letting go of so much internalized bullshit and self-judgment that's fueled by things like racism and fat phobia and ableism and classism and misogyny and every form of oppression that's out there. And it's saying, no, no, no. Pleasure is saying, I matter. I'm enough. I deserve this, right? And it's not about saying those things are just magically gone, but leaning into pleasure, you're leaning out of those things. All of those messages we get that you as an individual, for whatever reasons, shouldn't experience it. All the things that make it hard to experience, we're leaning out. And so we really are coming into our own and finding our true deep voice and our true internal worth when we lean in, in big ways and little ways. I love all of that. And it brings it back to this idea of needing to labor in order to have value, right? Living in a capitalistic society means that you have to labor and labor is sort of the opposite of play in a way. It's supposed to be hard. You're supposed to do it. That's at least in Western culture. That's what we talk about. It's not supposed to be fun. It's work. I think I hadn't really thought of it in terms of play, but taking it back to what you had said, Kate, about actors, performers being willing to just jump in there. If a person has the privilege to go to school to be an artist or to get to practice being an artist in some way, we have a little bit more access to play. It's like that's the spot in society where you're allowed, quote unquote, to play. Yeah, what you're getting at is Play is okay when you've hit a certain level of privilege, when you've earned a certain, when you've worked a certain number of hours, when you've done this, when you've when you've checked the boxes, 
and you did the things that you're supposed to do. And I know no one can see me right now, but I'm making a really silly face and pointing my finger at the screen, wagging my finger at the screen, just so y'all can really envision this, right? And so like that's when we're told it's okay, right? You can play on the weekends, although that's been obliterated in the pandemic, right? You can play when you have, you know, done enough schooling, then you can do it. And I mean, we could spend hours talking about the problems there and who has access to those opportunities. And so instead I say, how can we lean into pleasure as a tool for healing, as a tool for making the hard shit a little bit easier and a little bit more fun? So the example I often give, I tell the story all the time, is doing my bookkeeping, right? Bookkeeping is one of those business owner tasks that like a lot of people dread. I find it like kind of weirdly soothing because it's there's like not really emotion involved. I'm just putting numbers in. But I would avoid it and I would avoid it. So you know what I do now? Every Friday, I have a freaking candle that I light and I have a special money tea and I have a money tincture from Money Witch. Shout out to her because she's freaking awesome. And I have a playlist and I light my candle. I make my tea. I light my candle. I take my tincture. It's an S and Sun tincture, sorry. And I put on my playlist and I have this little pleasurable money ritual. And don't you know I don't miss it? And if I do miss it, I'm sad that I miss it because it's this beautiful time. And over the last year, what I've really been, what we've really been talking about through Passion by Kate is how can you take your pleasure in sips and gulps as we go through this really hard time? You still deserve pleasure. It doesn't matter your body, your gender identity, or like none of it matters pleasure, at least I truly believe that pleasure is our birthright and it is something we all deserve regardless of identity, privilege, et cetera. It's something we all deserve. And I recognize that that's super freaking revolutionary to think about, but it's because, again, all these messages, whether it's from the Catholic Church or any other source around who deserves pleasure and how pleasure is bad, no, you have a right period for you. I would just add that it's it's amazing. The son-in-law of Karl Marx wrote a book. I don't know if you're familiar with it. It's a, it's really like a little pamphlet, and it's called The Right to Be Lazy. It's a manifesto, The Right to Be Lazy, and it's completely a, an analysis of the working class and, and the relationship with that. It's very interesting. And the other thing is also what I'm starting to experience as I reach the 60-year-old. You know, it's like... After you're, you're near 60 or you're 60, it's like pleasure is not really part of your, your language anymore. You're supposed to just survive. And it's, it's amazing. I'm starting to get the, the feel of the discrimination towards the elder people. <laughs> it's amazing. I, and I know I'm just the tip of the iceberg, but it's, it's really scary. And the last thing is, as I worked with indigenous women who... Um, were migrants over 60 years old, could not read or write. And there was one more thing. All had suffered violence. And they had the whole package, right? And as I worked with them, I had the opportunity of working seven years with them full time. And first, you know, I started with, oh, the rights of women. And then, okay, the rights to housing. Okay. And we were actually in a demonstration. I mean, these are women with their full clothes, indigenous clothes. It was so beautiful, grandmothers, all of them. And we actually were in a demonstration with a huge banner. And the banner said, I have the right to be happy. And I have the right to pleasure. And when we figured that out, everything made sense. 
and they we we were the happiest. I mean, we traveled. We had a a storytelling company and dance company, and we traveled the country. And but that's when I I actually spoke for the first time the right to be happy because it's not something somebody that is not does not have economic privilege. I mean, these women were beggars in the streets. It's not even in your language. Literally, they do not have a word in their language. They spoke their indigenous language, Masawa. That means to dream something. Like I dream I'm going to go to France or something. What is to wish? They don't have that word in their language. So happiness, pleasure cannot be a privilege. Our body needs it. <laughs> I mean, the word to make music is to play, right? I love that. Absolutely. Awesome. So the final segment of each episode is that we ask um, both the hosts and our guests to share with our listeners a voice that they have appreciated or enjoyed um, with our listeners. So Kate, would you like to go first? Kick us off? Yes, I would. So this is someone whose work is very, very new to me, and I want to name that I am unsure of her gender identity, although I know she uses she, her pronouns because they're listed, but her name is Hala Wong, and someone shared a reel that she did on Instagram, and I was hooked. So she does these beautiful satiric reels around what she calls like the Wuanan goddess and talking about toxic spirituality and toxic wellness culture. And she intersperses those with these tender, heartfelt, really deep and restorative posts just exploring the process of unlearning toxic positivity, toxic spirituality, wellness culture, and the harms of that. And I think that when I think about voice, like being able to go between those two modalities of just really beautiful satire that like has me like crying with laughter and then these heartfelt resonant posts where I like stop and pause, which is not a thing we often do on Instagram, right? And read and think and really engaging with it, not just by clicking like, but in my own heart. It's so powerful. So yeah, her handle is at Hala Wong, H-A-Y-L-A. W-O-N-G, and I'm a big fan. Highly recommend. This person sounds amazing. Can't wait to go check out their work. And we'll definitely include the link in the show notes as well. Valentina, who would you like to share with us? There is a very interesting woman in Mexico doing vocal, amazing vocal work. Her name is Leica Mochan. It's L-E-I-K-A, Leica. And then Mochan is M-O-C-H-A-N. She speaks English. You should interview her. She's cool. That would be awesome. <laughs> All right, Emily Rose. This whole conversation is making me think about Audra Lord. Um, I know she has this quote about how, so I have erotic poems that she's written, which are amazing, but she has this quote about how in order for oppression to like perpetuate itself, it has to um, like corrupt all the sources of power that people have access to. And joy is one of those sources of power, like Valentina was talking about, the motor, that because joy is this way for people to feel their own power, access power, and potentially combat oppression, that's sort of where we get this idea that joy is an act of resistance because all of those you know, racism, misogyny, ableism, like all these things that we, we've hit on during our conversation, it has to undermine joy in order to succeed. So I just want to shout 
her out, Audre Lord. If you don't know who she is, look her up. We'll put links to her in the show notes. Colleen, back to you. All right. So listeners probably have picked up and people who know me know as well. Uh, I'm a little bit of a political nerd and I enjoy learning about politics and and politicians. Uh, And in addition to that, you know, there's been so much content coming out about like the British empire and British history lately between like the crown and (laughs) the Meghan and Harry interview. There's been a lot that I feel like I have been consuming, including a movie called Pride, which actually came out in 2014. And it was about the um, coal miner strike during Margaret Thatcher's, uh, while she was prime minister. And apparently it is based on a true story. Uh, I believe it was 1985 or 1984. There was basically an alliance between this group of LGBTQ uh, activists and coal miners. And one would imagine probably even in 2021, those are pretty different groups of individuals. And in the 80s, that was definitely the case. But they essentially saw in each other huge allies because they were both fighting against Thatcher's government. And became these just amazing, you know, allies for each other and they they fought for each other's causes and according to the movie became very good friends. Who knows if that's actually the case. But all that to say is in the movie there is one character based on a true person. Her name is Sean James. She was the wife of one of the miners and, you know, lived a somewhat traditional life where she got married very young, had kids, you know, her husband was a laborer. She stayed at home and took care of the kids. And through the process of getting involved with the strike and, you know, subsequently working with these uh, LGBTQ activists, became uh, an MP. She ran for office and was the first woman to ever represent this specific area in Wales. She um, served on the Labor Party. Is just like a pretty rad individual and is like, you know, still pretty young and active and making her way in the world. And I really loved learning about her. So Sean James, go Google her. Um, Also definitely go watch Pride. (laughs) That was amazing. Thank you, Colleen. I've never heard of any of that. Amazing. This was an absolutely fantastic conversation. Thank you both so, so, so very much. Yeah, thank you so much for for having me, Valentina. It was such a pleasure and honor to witness uh, your storytelling. And I'm so grateful for the opportunity to have chatted with with everyone here today. And I'm looking forward to, to staying in touch and supporting each other as we go forward and finding more freedom and pleasure. Thank you very much for this invitation. I'm so happy this project keeps on going. Thank you, Colleen. It's amazing. And I really enjoyed being with you and meeting another pleasure, three other pleasure women. (laughs) May we all have 26 clitoris one day. (laughs) Amazing. (laughs) Thank you both so much. And finally, a huge shout out to all of our listeners. Thank you so much for being with us. Our co-hosts are me, Colleen Hughes, and me, Emily Rose Pratz. I also edit our audio, and our researcher is Rachel Levins. Our music is Nice Girl, written and recorded by Reverend Yolanda. And a huge thank you again to our guests, Valentina and Kate. You can find out more about Valentina by visiting youtube.com slash Valentina Cuentos. That's V-A-L-E-N-T-I-N-A. C-U-E-N-T-O-S and her website, valentinastoryteller.com. And you can find out more about Kate and hashtag freedom and pleasure at passionbykate.com or on social media at passionbykate. And that's Kate spelled K-A-I-T. As always, you can find You Sound Like a Girl at yousoundlikeagirl.com 
You can email us at yousoundlikeagirl at gmail.com. And you can find us on Instagram at you sound like a girl. Catch you next time. Bye. Bye.